0: This is episode 390 of the 200 Churches Podcast.
1: It's funny because they asked me, where did you learn Spanish? I said, I'm Hispanic. I said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am.
0: <laughs> so
1: how did you learn English? I said, well, I came to the States when I was 38 years old. I didn't speak English. Hmm. Wow. And I started learning. I make the effort. I, I pay my, my dues for that. I have accent. I speak funny. I make mistakes. So what? (laughs) That's more or less.
0: Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Katie. I'm in the mobile 200 Churches podcast sound studio today. I am here with my guest, Danny Garrido. Danny was on episode 299. Danny is going to talk to us about pastoring a church while working full-time, so bivocational ministry. He planted the church 20 years ago, and Danny pastors in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He's going to talk to us about succession planning He's also going to talk to us about the reality of the immigration crisis in his ministry and in his community. He is the pastor of a 200 church just like you. He's in the grit and grizzle of ministry week in and week out. I love this guy. Here's my conversation with Danny Garrido. My friend Danny Garrido, welcome back to the 200 Churches podcast. It's been almost
1: four years since you've joined us. Jeff, thank you so much. Last time it was a delightful time and I am more than glad to be here with you.
0: Well, that's good. At least this time I'm remembering to push record. That's good too. Yeah, So we gonna have to keep...
1: repeat ourselves.
0: That's <laughs> right. We recorded for 15 minutes and it all just went up in the air. Nobody listened to any of it. Then you fixed it. So that was good. There we go. So Danny, tell us again about your church, Danny. Tell us where it is Tell us a little bit about the makeup of the church, how long you've been there.
1: We've been in, in the place that we are uh, seven years, going to eight years in October. It's in uh, the most poor neighborhood in Colorado Springs. There is a lot of um, social problems, drugs, gangs, domestic violence, child neglection, prostitution. You know, in Colorado Springs, marijuana is legal. So around the church, we have five marijuana dispensaries. We've been praying. We've been doing everything we can do. Only one has shut down. We're still doing that. We don't know why the other ones is still there. But look how people are. One of the dispensaries' name was the Church of the Most High. Hmm. What a wow. mucking of the name of the Lord. Yeah. So I used to go in the evenings when nobody was around and used to put my hands over the, the door. And I said, Lord, this is not good that how these people are putting your name in this level. Lord, I rebuke this thing. Close this place. It took for a while, but the, the Lord closed that one. The other ones, we do the same. We encourage the church when you drive around, pray against the business but not against the people. Ask the Lord to bless them as a people and come to the knowledge of him. Pray that they don't have clients. Pray that they have problems with finances. Pray that they don't renew the city license. Hmm. Those things like that, you know. That was kind of interesting. And at the beginning, people was like, oh, my gosh, are we going to do that? How do we do that? So we took time to do that. Again, our church is uh, Hispanic people from, I would say, 12 to 14 different countries. So we have in common Spanish, and not all the words are the same, but nothing else is the same. So we are 14 countries in one group. So you're really multicultural. Pretty much so. Besides that, all of the youth and children, we minister them in English because they don't want to speak in Spanish. Sure. And it's understandable. Yeah. And because we don't want to lose them, we do everything in English. But at the same time, we have adults that they're a little old. They can understand a little bit, but they will never talk, number one. The vast majority of the church, they have not even finished elementary school. So they are hard workers, good workers, decent people. They, they work in construction and, you know, all that kind of hard labor, uh, blue-collar label labor. We understand that. There's nothing wrong with that. But also they need to learn how to maneuver in the society, how to be proactive citizens, how to comply with the regulations and the law, how to testify with their lives and their resources about Christ. That's kind of like the the dynamics of, of our church, you know. It's not strange to us that Sundays, one or two homeless or drunks or whatever, they come into the church looking for whatever, we don't give them money. We give them what they ask for, for instance. It's typical. I need a prescription. Well, there's Walgreens in the corner, so wait, and then we will take you. Some they stay, and they really need. Others, they say, no, give them money, and I will buy myself. Yeah. We said no, we're not going to give you the money. So they just leave, uh, get up and left. So there's a little bit of, of everything. But n- right now, that Kobe can kind of like a, came down a little bit, one or two notches. We can see less transition about this uh, this situation. so it's it's a little bit more refreshing. The church is back again. We start doing um, lunches. On Sunday, so after the service, we bring food and we talk. Uh, if you want to stay, you stay. So that have created, again, that atmosphere of the fellowship and laughing and talking and uh, change so, the dynamics.
0: So you say you've been in your location for eight years. Yes. Seven or eight years, but how long have you pastored these people?
1: Uh, we started the church in the year 2002. Okay, so 20 years this year. Yes, yeah, 20 years this October. Wow. It's October. And uh we have members from the beginning. And we have, mm. you know, different people. But a lot of them uh, from the beginning. Uh you know, people that they were dishwashers in a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. I went to eat and I met them, started sharing the Lord. Mm. Now they are there. Others than they encounter in Walmart. You know, I I hear people talking in Spanish in the Walmart, and I approach to them and say, "Oh, you speak in Spanish? Where are you from? What do you do?" Blah blah. blah. Oh, what is this? You know, sometimes I play dumb in in order to have a a relationship or something in common. And then my thing is, um, if you are interested, here's a card. I don't have a no titles no nothing christian there's a card with information that we Hispanics, we get together and we share a cup of tea and a cookie and we talk about different situations that we need if you're interested here it is or i can call you or everything some of them they have show up you know yeah. for instance i went one time to buy what do we call sweet bread and the cashier lady was there and i noticed that she was a little in distress. I said, are you okay? You look a little sad. I said, well, you know, I have a daughter. She's sick, blah, 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 da, 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 all of these kind of things and, you know, Catholic background. And I said, would you mind if you give me your hand and we pray right now for healing in the name of Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I come back again. And she told me, oh, my daughter is okay. Now she's a member of the church. Hmm. That's cool. Things like that, you know, yeah. just looking for the opportunity, trying to be sensitive to the people and the Holy Spirit, what to do, what not to do. Others, you talk weeks and months and no response. Yeah. So it's a little bit of everything.
0: So you said for the youth, you do things in English, but mm-hmm. do you have any services where you preach in Spanish? Every Sunday I preach in Spanish. Oh, you do. So what do you do? So you do kids ministry and youth ministry in English? In English, yes. Yes. And are, are youth there for your preaching?
1: No. The youth, they have their own uh, okay. uh, teaching, too, okay. and uh, they receive in English as well as the children. But with the adults, normally I preach in, in Spanish, but I can go English and Spanish, the same topic, because we have uh, English-speaking people as well in our church. Are there times when you will speak about certain
0: things in English? and other things in Spanish that come easier for you?
1: Uh, there are some uh, topics that they come easier because uh, Bible language in English is different than in Spanish. Okay. So the words are a little bit more complicated for Spanish speaking. Hmm. So you, you know when to use this word or not this word. And we have created an environment that is so relaxed that I can say, how do you say this in Spanish? Oh, yeah. In English? Uh And then I say, in in Spanish, how do you say this in English? Hmm. So back and forth, and they respond. So it's an interesting dynamic, really. So for
0: 20 years, you've been a bivocational pastor. Yes. You work 40 hours a week outside of the church. Yes. Has that been a hindrance for you in terms of growing the church and developing people? Or do you feel like you leverage that, you kind of use that, as a way to be a part of the community or to reach people that you otherwise wouldn't have reached?
1: Uh, The answer will be both. Number one is interesting because when I am in a church, we are in a church, and it's fine. But then I leave and I go to my secular job, and you know how to relate with the people that they are not Christians. So either way, you start reaching out whoever is willing to receive and not receive. It is possible that I would hinder the growth of the church because you need time in order to continue visiting or following out with people and stuff. Could be, but I have trained others to do that so they we can share the load, we can share the responsibility. I don't know why we have no grown-up to at least 200 people. We go from 130 to 95, then we jump again, and people go back and forth. They move, they leave, all of those kind of things. So it is possible that, in some extent, could be a hindrance, but it's also an opportunity, in other extent, to be out there and to be aware of what do they think. What are their expectations of the non-believers? How do they see us Christians? And those dynamics help you to get a better understanding of the community and you can teach the church and minister the community better. For instance, now that it's good weather, we do at least once a month some hot dogs or things like that. Not with intention to evangelize but with intention to let them know that we are there for them. And people have come and respond. Last time, we only have three people that came up that were not from the church. Other times, they come more people. So it, it, it depends. Yeah. So you've been there 20
0: years. You're bivocational. And today, as we sit here, you're 65 years old. Yes, sir. And we were talking about the transition at some point, whenever you decide to transition out of that lead role— What are your thoughts on that, Danny, and how are you handling just the idea that in a few years, I may be done with my secular job, I may transition out of leadership in my church, and what in the world would my life even look like after all that?
1: Let me start with the easy one, which is, in three years, I'm done with the secular job. That's the easy one. It's just a job. We're done, right? Okay. Okay. The second one is a little bit different, because right now, right now, I am in a process of training the assistant pastor to start picking up things and to start understanding other areas and take more responsibility, not only in preaching, but administrative, eldership, all of the areas in the church, with intention that in those three years, and I'm going to be out in the secular job, he will be ready to take care of the church. And I step back to be his assistant. So the church understands that transition, and it's not a friction of uh, leadership or, or you know, because some people get attached to you no matter what, and, and that is more, more. There's more clarity. So that's the second aspect, and the third aspect is, my wife and I we been start talking about okay, what kind of ministry are we going to do? You know, there are places, uh, there are churches. When I say places, I mean churches that. Sometimes they need somebody to go one day, three days, one week, two weeks, whatever it is, and have uh, reinforce in certain biblical teachings and stuff. So we are talking about how we, we can connect with others to help them to do that. We don't depend on their giving because we have a retirement. Mm-hmm. So we have the time and we have the resources yeah. to do that. But there's another thing important in this transition— We're going to have more time to see our grandkids, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) which is good, you know. Do they live close by? We have some close by, and we have some way far away. We have two in Maryland, and we have two in Colorado Springs. And you're going to need more time to travel to see them. And I would like to have more grandkids, (laughs) but that's not up to me now, so I'm just waiting for that.
0: Yeah. So how are you preparing the church for that transition, so you said you're at some point you're going to switch places mm-hmm. with the pastor so how how are you talking to him about that, and how are you talking to the people about that or or haven't you done too much yet because it's still several years no, away? no we have
1: we have done what we do is number one uh, the eldership when we meet, we talk about those issues besides the other ones, so in that they are very aware how it's going to happen. Number one, number two, with the person that's going to be in charge, we have been taken by areas. The preaching—he's preaching more than he used to. That's that's one area. The other area is the uh, the administration of the church, the resources that the Lord has gave us, uh, the, the the casting of the vision, all that. So that takes a little bit longer. And once a month, we do in our church. The last Sunday of every month is church planting, and missions emphasis. So in that, we throw little things about, uh, you need to be ready because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to retire in certain years. And we are preparing Pastor Charlie. His name is Carlos, but I call him Charlie to start putting him in front of all of us. And he's going to be leading us. And that's it. Next month, a little bit more. So they start getting used to that, transition so to speak and uh, it's not like oh you are leaving and in three weeks you're done now what are we going to do
0: so it's you know some people
1: have been uh, not disappointed but sad that's going to happen and I said look number one the pulpit is not mine number two the church is not mine neither number three you depend on the Holy Spirit so the same support that you have given to me in those years why not him you already know him so what's the problem? So you start making them understand why and the reasons why not. Somebody told me one time and says, "Yeah, but you are still young." I say, "Well, that could be a true statement, but there are days and I'm tired. The energy is not the same that when you are in the forties or fifties. So every time that goes by, my energy level is it goes quicker than it used to be. So you gotta be realistic with that." Of course, we're going to depend uh, from the guidance of the Holy Spirit. How are we going to do this? Maybe we're going to make uh, some mistakes, but we're going to learn. And we're going to do this transition, all of us together. So it's already there, and we have have very good response. I don't mean to say that all of them agree, but in general, it's a, it's a good response. Do you think you'll stay connected
0: to the church when you're done, that you'll actually be his assistant? Or do you think you'll move on to another church to attend or ministry?
1: I will be still connected, but less time of presence in the church. Okay, like that a, means fewer Sundays. Yes, fewer Sundays. Okay. Uh, or fewer uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays than we have meetings. So that will be other, other thing that somebody else needs to be taking those Responsibilities in the future. So, you did so. You did you plant the church? Yes. So,
0: you planted the church 20 years later. You look back if you could go back and whisper in your own ear 20 years ago and you knew you'd listen to yourself. What would you tell Danny Garrido, who was 45 years old?
1: I would say, number one, you need to pray more. Okay, that's the first thing that I will say. Number two, when you contact people or you know people and share with them the gospel, don't give up so soon with them. Hmm. Invest more time. Because I have seen people that you talk, you talk, you talk, you talk, and you think you're wasting time, and you stop doing that. And then months or years come by, and boom, they show up, and they remember what we used to talk. Hmm. So I will pray more. I won't give up in people. Too fast. And the other thing that I would do is because you learn by experience, you know, I will ask the Lord to give us persons with certain abilities, then they can share, and I can share the load of responsibility with them and not be running, 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 running because that was what I did. So, so you go through
0: things. You would have developed people and delegated sooner.
1: Yeah. You had it to do over again. Correct. That's that's good English.
0: (laughs) What has happened that you've been surprised at that has gone better than you would have thought?
1: The better than I than I thought, it was the giving the money. Okay, Uh, you know it's a sensitive topic. It's a sensitive issue, and you have to remember one thing: the Hispanic community, they live here, but their heart. Is still in whatever they came from. Mm. So they send money back and everything. So that yeah. was a, a little bit of a struggle at the beginning. But in the way that the Lord has ministered them, so to speak, the Holy Spirit, it's incredible. For instance, in COVID, we have less money. And the Lord told us to give more to our Great Commission Fund, which is the one who supports the missionaries. We do that. And it's like, boom. The money come back, hmm. so it's that is a, a, that I mean, in shocked that we didn't have any a spoon in all this building that we have right now. It's a miracle. Seriously, it's like a, I don't I don't know what how that happened. Just the Lord. So you said
0: you didn't have any what in the building?
1: Nothing. Oh, you didn't even have a spoon. We didn't even have a we, spoon, we even okay. have spoon. Not even a chair. Nothing. Everything was. Provided a given by the uh, Harvest Alliance uh, Anglo Church, they were very generous and very friendly with us. Okay, and when we move, we start transitioning. Okay, we need this. We need it. You know, it's like when you get married, you don't have anything. You start yeah. getting all that stuff, and that has surprised me in a tremendous way. So
0: now, what has happened that you that has been tough that you didn't foresee, you didn't plan on it, and it's kind of Thrown you for a loop.
1: One of the step backs, big step back we have is uh, there were a precedent a couple years, like 12 years ago, that he chased down the immigrants in a very hard way. And we lost maybe 65% of the congregation. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that was back in, uh, let me see, we're 2022... So that was maybe, okay, two years now with this president, four years with the other one, eight years with the other. So now 14 years ago. Okay. Yeah. You lost
0: 65% of the congregation. Yes. And so ICE, immigration, and customs enforcement?
1: All of those guys. They were, for instance, we were going to a place one day with my wife. And we saw buses after buses going to the Air Force Academy and they pick up all of the I- illegal workers that they were working there, doing mm. housekeeping, doing gardening, doing whatever. Bust them up, boom, Denver, deported. Factories, businesses, restaurants, all of that, that happened. And people, you, you, you didn't hear in the media most of that kind of thing, you know, because the media is biased. But we faced that situation. Even I told my younger son, which is adopted, and he is very, very Hispanic, totally. I says, if immigration stop you and ask you anything, you tell them you are a U.S. citizen and you need to talk with my dad. Don't let them take you. I know you're a minor, but everything can happen. And don't worry about it. We will be there. So you have to teach your kids to do through these motions because you don't know what's going to happen. Can you imagine how it is when undocumented parents they have to go to work and leave the kids in school or at home, Hmm. and they don't come back? It's it's pretty tough. We face that too. So let's go there for a second.
0: Sure. Let's talk about when should typical white American Christians. When should they think very favorably about immigrants? Because they say that the Christian community, the white evangelical Christian community, can be the harshest people and the harshest crowd against immigration and wanting to, you know, deport people. When should they rethink that? In in w- what situations should they say no? You know, what does the Bible say versus what is the Government say,
1: yeah. Well, unfortunately, the media and the government say things that they're unrealistic. They're not true in most of the cases.
0: Like, for instance, what?
1: Uh, For instance, you know, if some Hispanic guy rob or kill or do something illegal, all of us were the same. All of us, we need to go back. Yeah, right. You cannot generalize that everybody is like that. You know, every tree has a sour apple, so there's one thing. The other thing that uh, no Hispanic community can do is to learn from the other communities. It's like, for instance, I encourage our church, be friends with your American friends. Invite them to eat. Share with them a pie, a cup of coffee. Ask them to teach you English. Take care of the dog. Open yourselves so you get to know them and you realize that there are people like you with necessities, with frustrations, with joys, and you end up being friends. So you create a community with them. Not everybody going to respond in the same way. If they don't, they don't. If they do, make an effort. I keep doing that. So if we step all cultures to the other cultures, we're going to learn from them and we lose the fear of the unknown who are they? What are they gonna to do to me? Are they gonna rob me? Are they gonna do this? Are they things that they are not realistic. It's just an emotional thinking that again the media put in front of all of us and make us think in that way. You know. For instance, when we hear as Hispanics they say, you know, the, the white supremacists they want everybody out. Not every Caucasian person is white supremacist, right? Not every Hispanic is a thief. Yeah. Right. So it's it, that's kind of
0: like a the situation. But you've known people and you know people who are undocumented, who are in your area and who live in fear of getting deported. How do you feel about that? Should some of them be deported? Should they provide a path to citizenship for those who are already here?
1: There's a little bit of everything. There are some that they really need to go back. Yeah,
0: because because they they are uh,
1: not productive members of the society. Okay. They expect the government gave them everything. Okay, that's number one. Number but two, but that's not all of them. Not all of them. Others, the majority are hardworking people. You know, have you seen Hispanics asking for a handout in the corners? No. Why is that? No, that's true. See. So that means they come to work, they want opportunities, they want a better place for their families, they want their kids prosper, they want their children grow up and mature. So that is their, they're driven. So they work really hard, you know, they work from Monday to Saturday, 10 hours a day. On Sunday, they don't go to church, maybe they want to rest, they are tired. So it's a, a lot of implications there. So you need to be wise and alert. What is the situation here? Man, of course, others, they want to waste their lives and their own things, you know, getting drunk and normally that. But others, the majority want the best for the families. Uh, we have had families that the mother, they don't know even how to read and write at all. How do you... Help them with those things. Yeah, And they they look at somebody and they say, oh, what do they want with me? You know, I have a, uh, help many people with businesses how to deal with uh, insurance companies because they take advantage of them. Hmm. They thread them. So it's always a little bit of abuse from one side, from the other side, and try to teach them to be reasonable, just responsible with the things that you're supposed to do. It's an endless job. And, uh, and somebody says, you don't get tired of this. How do you know it's you get a return of your investment of time and everything? Yeah, and I right. said, if one person has changed, it's better than nobody. Mm-hmm. If two, it's more. So you just go one person at a time. Trying to influence, trying to show them a different way, trying to encourage them, building relationships, being friends, being there, inviting them to your home, and all those kind of things. Look, it's, it's funny because they asked me, where did you learn Spanish? I said, I'm Hispanic. I said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> so how did you learn English? I said, well, I came to the States when I was 38 years old. I didn't speak English. Mm, wow. And I started learning. I make the effort. I I pay my my dues for that. I have accent. I speak funny. I make mistakes. So what? <laughs> That's more or less.
0: Danny, as we finish this episode, talk to the pastor who has planted a church, has a small church, is bivocational, has to work. He or she is getting tired, and they're a little discouraged. Twenty twenty, maybe. Cut their congregation in half, and now they feel like they've been dropped back ten years, and they've you know they got to grow it all over again. What kind of encouragement do you have for them based on everything that you've been through?
1: There's a lot of things that you can say, but in my mind comes this: the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. It's no mine. Yes, I'm here, and I'm going to take care of the church, the people, the best than I can do. So don't take the whole burden on you. Go every day and tell him, say, Lord, you gave me this. This is what happening. I return to you. Please do something about it. And rest in that. And I don't mean to say you don't do anything. Yeah, be alert, be concerned, but get in a point that you rest on him. Remember that verse that says, cast on him all of your anxieties. Yeah. We need to learn to do that. That's number one. Number two, make the most contacts possible. A contact for me is a seed that you put in the ground. If you don't put a seed in the ground, nothing's going to flourish. Hmm. But if you don't have contacts, what's going to happen? Contact as much people as you do, you can, all of that. And who knows when the Lord's going to work with them. Number three, try to have a balance of time and a disciplined life between your personal secular job and the church in, in order to be organized and be consistent in what you do. So you know when and who and what is going to happen instead of, oh, today is this and today is that and I don't know what to do here. So those things overwhelm you. But if you know that you have something in this day and somebody's going to take care of this other thing and things like that, you plan ahead monthly, quarterly, six months, whatever it is, you have a budget, you put an order. So you organize. It's order. I don't mean to say that the church is a business, but it's order. You know, there's resources. There's human resources. There's natural resources. And there's economic resources. You need to know how to put that in perspective. Because if you don't have order, how do you govern? And if you don't have order and you don't govern, how do you exercise authority? That's very simple. But it takes discipline. It takes consistency. And finally, I will say Look for people that are going to build your life, build your faith, encourage you, to support you, not only financially, but morally, spiritually, as a friend, somebody that you can go and complain about whatever it is that you need to complain. You throw that out. It's like a, I'm relieved. And tomorrow is a new day, new mercies, and you keep going. If not you're going to sink very good danny thanks for joining me today jeff it's always a pleasure you're extremely wise doing those kind of things a lot of people has been blessed about that and it's my prayer that the lord continue giving you an enlightenment that you need in order to influence and uh, pass all of your knowledge to other people thank you so much jeff thanks danny
0: So thankful that Danny could join us today. And some of what he talked about, some of you would really identify with. You'd say, yep, yep, been there, done that, or I'm currently there doing that. And then others of you are going to say, oh wow, that's like a completely different context from what I minister in. So I hope that either way, you were encouraged, you were challenged, and as you listen to Danny, The Lord worked in your heart and brought some things to your mind, things that you can do in your church to better serve your people and to better reach your community and to help you experience ministry more fully, deeply, and enjoyably. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll see you next week on the 200 Churches Podcast.